Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning once again to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, where we are going to be looking together at the third chapter, the first six verses. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, you can find that passage on page 1142 in your pew Bibles. This morning we are continuing our series on getting the gospel right. And in order to do that, we are considering our look together at this very important, very gospel-centric letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. We have, over the last several weeks, witnessed through those first two chapters the Apostle Paul laying out what amounts to the bulk of his defense against these wicked, deceptive accusations which had been leveled against him by these false teachers, these men who had crept into the church after Paul had departed and who had begun to lead the people away from their comfort in Jesus Christ back into the agony of bondage. They were selling the law as the means of earning God's favor. And so they went to work straight away and they began to assault the character of the Apostle Paul, all in an effort to discredit the gospel that Paul was bringing to the people. And you remember that these false teachers had convinced the people that the Apostle Paul was not really giving them the full picture of what would actually justify them before a holy and perfect God. Rather, according to these deceivers, Paul was in fact purposefully deficient in his teaching. That he had left some very important things out of his gospel. And they whispered into the ears of the people their lies about what Paul had neglected to show them. They told the people that along with embracing the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would also certainly need to be circumcised. They would need to adhere to the law as a means of continually improving their standing before God. They accomplished all of this, beloved. They convinced the Galatians of this outright denial of the gospel message by attempting to discredit the Apostle Paul altogether. They raised questions about even his own authenticity uh, to be an apostle, his own authority. After all, he was not one of the apostles. Surely he would not hold the same weight as one of them in Jerusalem would hold. They said not only was Paul not one of the Jerusalem apostles, but that those who were in Jerusalem, they actually stood at odds with Paul. They were not at all in agreement with the things that they said Paul was so recklessly teaching. We've been able to stand and to watch as the Apostle Paul himself addresses these attacks against his character in the opening chapters of this letter. I would say it's been a little bit of a shock At least to me it has. Because I would think that we would expect more venom from Paul. 
more anger. You know, I've continually found myself rebuked by the Apostle Paul's calm demeanor in all of this. Knowing full well, venom would probably have been coming from me. To my shame. Of course, we don't get that from Paul, at least not yet. There will be some venom, however, it is not the result of the countless lies and attacks against his character that bring it about. Rather, it is in response to the attacks against the gospel that cause his anger to be let loose. We've seen Paul, though, thus far, after gently admonishing the people in the beginning of chapter 1, telling them that he was astonished to hear how quickly they had departed from the gospel that he had preached to them. We see him go about then clearing his name against some of these lies that had been perpetuated against him. He goes directly to the facts. And he explains that his authority was given to him directly by God himself. And that he needed the approval of no man. But just so they knew the truth, Paul tells them how he had in fact made the journey to Jerusalem and how they heard the message of the gospel that he was preaching and how they embraced him and gave to him the right hand of fellowship. They acknowledged that he had indeed been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised in the same way that the apostle Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Paul even went on to tell the people how he himself had to oppose Peter to his face in Antioch for acting like a hypocrite. Peter had been acting one way in front of the Gentiles, but when certain men from James came, he acted another way entirely. So Paul says, I had to publicly rebuke Peter for doing damage to the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul reiterates, it is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of the grace of Almighty God alone, that will justify a sinful man before a perfectly holy God, and not ever the works of the law. We read at the close of chapter 2 those powerful verses that hopefully are still ringing in our ears this morning and throughout this last week. Verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died in vain. Beloved, we talked about what he's saying. To add to the message of the gospel is to declare that Jesus Christ was somehow insufficient and therefore he went to his death for nothing. We need to consider that. When we add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what we're saying. There was something deficient in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this day and age when it's so seemingly easy to add little trinkets to the gospel and to call those trinkets righteousness. Either Jesus Christ is enough or he came and he died in vain. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? 
We have watched as the Apostle Paul has dismantled the evil work of these false shepherds, these false apostles, by pointing to what God, as the giver of all authority, pointing to God as the giver of all authority and the the calling of God to the Apostle Paul to be his minister of the gospel. We've also watched him point the Galatians to the facts surrounding his relationship with those apostles in Jerusalem. And we have witnessed Paul showing the church in Galatia that indeed every word breathed by these workers of iniquity was in fact a lie. Paul has successfully defeated these men by simply, and I would say calmly, pointing to the truth. And now he turns his attention to these beloved members of the church as he seeks to get them back on track with the truth as well. We will see this morning that as his attention comes back to the members of the church, to the sheep themselves, Paul's tone changes a little bit as he seeks to bring these sheep back into the fold. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to follow along as I read Galatians chapter 3, Again, I'll be reading verses 1 through 5, 1 through 6. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity that we have to come before your word. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many things that distract us. Pray, Father, that you would give our full attention to your word this morning so that hearing it through the power of your spirit, we might be transformed by it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be surprised to hear me say that once again, I think in this very first verse of chapter 3, we see the tremendous love of the Apostle Paul for those who have been entrusted to his care. And Perhaps as you hear me say that this morning, you're thinking, are you sure we're all in the same place? Paul's language is a bit strong here. Maybe you think that the apostle here is just so worn out with his struggle that he he finally snaps on the people and he decides to let these obstinate people have it once and for all. Or maybe you think that the apostle Paul is clearly angry that he has decided to take the gloves off, so to speak, and make certain that these foolish people feel each blow that he is about to bring their way. After all, he says in verse 1, you foolish Galatians, you 
foolish people, you fools, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Strong words. It's emphatic language. He calls them fools. He actually asked them, who has possessed you? Who has bewitched you to lead you to do such foolish things? How is it that these strong, and we could even say angry words, could possibly be considered loving? Well, I would remind you that Paul is a father to these people. And as their father, he has an obligation to point them lovingly to the truth and to chase foolishness from their hearts and their lives so that he can protect them. He is their shepherd. They are the sheep. And when the shepherd sees his sheep doing something foolish, something that might even cost the sheep its life, or at the very least put the sheep into harm's way, the shepherd reacts. And he reacts because he loves the sheep. How many of us fathers here this morning understand this? I've told you several times in my own life that my father had to react to my foolishness because he, as my father, as the man who to whom my very life and well-being had been entrusted, loved me. And because he loved me, he wanted to keep me from destroying myself, or in most instances, destroying my poor little brother, who often suffered more for my foolishness than I did. But you know what this is like, right? We have all had to deal with foolishness in the lives of our children. And when we see it, we react as if there is no time to waste. Because after all, we love them. We do not want them to be harmed. We want to protect them. And I believe that's Paul's approach here. His language is strong and would certainly get the attention of its hearers because the truth is, there is no time to waste. They are, in their foolishness, toying with something that they ought not to toy with. They have bought into the message of these false apostles who have the fundamental message of the gospel of Jesus Christ wrong. And now they are in turn getting the message wrong. And Paul knows that their peace will flee them like a thief. It's a matter of life and death. It is the message that everything else hangs upon. And Paul here reacts like a father who loves his children enough that that love would seek to chase foolishness away from them for good. He asked them, who has bewitched you in order to bring them to this point? He's asking them, who would make you act so completely reckless? Who has so darkened your understanding that after receiving the good news, that it is faith in Jesus Christ alone that will justify you before a holy God, that you now want to ignore the truth or add to the truth? 
The truth is, of course, that Christ has been clearly portrayed before your very eyes as being crucified for you in your place. The very Spirit of Almighty God has opened your eyes not only to your sin and your misery, but to the glorious grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. Who has so enchanted you that after that, you would ever look in any other direction than towards the cross of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And Paul continues to tighten his focus on the problem at hand by asking them a question in order to stir their memories to the truth that had absolutely been delivered to them in pure form. Look at verse 2. Paul says, This only do I want to learn from you. This thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's Paul's question. Paul, having already reminded them of the gospel that he brought to them, the good news of Jesus Christ and how they had embraced it as life itself, he now reminds them of their own experience and the way in which they had received that message. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ They received it. They embraced it in faith. The law did not bring about the Spirit for them. But when they heard the gospel, they received the Spirit. It's the same argument that Peter uses in Acts chapter 10. When he's defending having baptized the uncircumcised Gentiles because they heard the gospel and they had received the Spirit just like the circumcised Jews that were there to witness that event. The Gentiles had received the Spirit in the same way as the Jewish people. Paul and Barnabas had also brought it up when they were before the council in Jerusalem, how the Gentiles had received the Spirit of Almighty God. The question was one that really needed no answer. The answer is assumed in the question. The Spirit of God is given by grace through faith. It is never earned. It is never the wages due to the one who works. And we need to see this. Paul knows that they had been led astray and that because they had believed the lies of these wicked men, they had already forgotten what had really happened in their own lives. Paul had not come to them with the law as a means of them becoming justified before God. He simply preached to them that they were indeed sinful according to the law and that even when they were in that state of sin, Jesus Christ came and died for them. Though they deserved the wrath of God to be poured out upon their sin, Jesus Christ became their righteousness. He stood in their place. He received their wrath. He satisfied the demands of the law. And through his death, he satisfied the justice of Almighty God by receiving the penalty for lawbreaking once and for all their sin. And when they heard that message, something happened. Something supernatural in character. The very Spirit of God had opened their blind eyes and allowed for them to truly hear it and receive it 
with joy and faith. And Paul knows they know what happened. And so he asks them another question. He says to them in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, he answers his own question. There's no denying that they did not receive their justification through the works of the law. They received it through the Spirit. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You get his point. It's preposterous. There's no denying that it was the Spirit of God that had allowed for them to accept the message of the gospel in faith. He says, you've witnessed it firsthand. Are you really now, having seen these things, having known these things, are you really now going to return to the things that you do in order to be justified before God? To the works of the law. Paul, as we've seen him do throughout this letter, constantly calls the people back to a basic understanding of the fundamentals of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's life itself. Why do you seek to return to bondage? That verse there, verse three, I would imagine it rings home with us here this morning, right? I can tell you it rings true with me. I think it's something we desperately need to hear today. We need to hear this rebuke by the Apostle Paul. Beloved, evangelicalism is full of returning to the law for our elusive identity. And I want to be clear, when we do that, what we're seeking to do is improve upon who we are in Adam. Yet we've been called to have a new identity to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus through our union with him by faith. Our identity, thanks be to God, is entirely wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his person. In his work. It's not found in our supposed talents or our abilities, or our works, or our righteousness. I want to ask you something this morning. Do you remember or do you know what it was like to begin in the Spirit and then foolishly turn back to the flesh as being the means of your being made right with God? Do you remember having your eyes opened to the, by the Spirit of God to the reality of the depths of your own sinful nature? Do you remember what it was like having glimpsed the nature, the heinous nature of your sin and the absolute offense that your sin is to a holy God? Do you remember what it was like to then look to the cross of Jesus Christ and find hope entirely in the grace of God? Beloved, we say it all the time. I know I do and I hope you do. I also know how easy it is, having had my own eyes opened by the Spirit of God, having embraced the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to then go back and try to establish my righteousness before God by the things that I'm doing. To try in vain to keep the whole law, seeking to be justified in my works in vain. 
Beloved, I guess I'm asking is, can you relate to the Galatians this morning? Can you relate to this rebuke of the Galatians this morning? Well, I trust that we can. I have no doubt there are some of us who can relate and are grateful to God this morning for his grace that despite our foolishness, despite our thick-headedness, despite our, our stiff necks and what we are, that he actually loves us enough that Jesus Christ would die for even us. And there are some of us that even as we hear it, we want to continue to kick against the goats. It cannot be that simple. Surely I must do something by doing these things, by living by these rules, by adhering to this list of things, at least then I can know that I am trying. Then God will know that I'm doing the best that I can. You're not going to stand up there, Steve, and tell me that counts for nothing. It has to count for something. I think God's probably proud of my efforts. I'm not the worst one here. And it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Paul reminds the Galatians, it is faith alone in Jesus Christ alone that will justify them before God and it will never be their best efforts that gets the attention of God for their justification. He reminds them that they see and they hear because the Spirit of God himself is working in their lives, opening blind eyes and deaf ears to the truth of the gospel. Having begun in the Spirit, will you now go back to the flesh? That's the question. Again, Paul stirs their memories with another question for them in verse 4. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Paul reminds them of the struggles, the persecutions that they had endured as a direct result of believing the gospel that he had preached. They had been hated. They had become a reproach. They had lost possessions. They had suffered dangers of life and limb. My beloved Galatians, says Paul, Consider your beginnings. The Spirit was manifestly poured out upon you to the point that you embraced this message truly with your whole heart. You were even willing to suffer for this truth. You had peace amid that suffering so that you continued in that suffering with joy. Did you really do it all for nothing? Is the work of God among you really, has it all been done in vain? Then again, Paul lovingly keeps hope alive as he rebukes his beloved sheep when he says, if indeed it was in vain. In other words, this was all in vain if for a second I believe that these things did not actually take place. If you are really willing to say that after being convinced by the crafty message of these false teachers that all of these things that you've witnessed, all of these things that are a part of your story were in fact in vain. Paul's rough words and his criticisms are not just so that he can vent here. 
He's going somewhere. Sometimes we need to be cut by the harsh reality of the truth before we're really paying attention, really listening. Paul has made the point count here by choosing his words very carefully. He's methodical in the way he approaches writing this wrong. He has asked them to remember their experience. He has asked them to remember their humble beginnings. He has asked them to call to their remembrance their suffering for the sake of the pure gospel as it had been delivered to them by Paul. Now Paul asks them to remember something about God himself and the way in which he worked in their midst. Look at what he says in verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul gives them one last point to consider regarding where they had been and where they were now going. And he asked them this question. With all all of this in mind about what happened when I came and I preached the pure gospel of Jesus Christ to you, how you embraced it by the Spirit of God, how you witnessed the work of the Spirit among yourselves as a direct result, let me ask you one more question. The one who sent the Spirit, God himself, did he do it by the works of the law or did he accomplish it by the hearing of faith? course in verse 6 he gives the answer right he points to Abraham and he says just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness the Galatians knew all the answers to these questions And no doubt they were stinging as they felt these slaps across the face with each one of them. With each of these questions, they were reminded of the glorious truth that they had known and how quickly they had traded it for another gospel altogether. One that was in fact no gospel at all. They had given up the heavenly and glorious for the weak and the beggarly. Paul has been rough on his beloved church, but we will see next week and following that he will point them back to the glorious truth. The truth that the just shall live by faith alone, going all the way back to Abraham to prove his point, to encourage their troubled hearts. But beloved, for now, in closing, I think we should once again, as has been our custom while looking at this particular letter together, We should step back and take a long, hard look at ourselves. I hope that if you are trusting in anything other than faith in Jesus Christ and him alone this morning to justify you before a perfectly holy God, that your heart has been stirred and your pride has been seared as you've listened to these rough words of the Apostle Paul to people who are just like you and just like me. I hope that your heart will be stirred And that you will remember what it was like when the very Spirit of God opened your own eyes to the horrible condition of your heart and lovingly turned your gaze to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I hope that our pride will be broken, and that we will return once again to the glorious truth of the Word of God this morning, forsaking our beggarly works and embracing God-given faith in Jesus Christ to save our very souls. Maybe you've heard the gospel and you say you've had it right in your heart. And you're silently declaring amens inside as you hear the glorious message of the gospel again and again and again. And if that is where your heart is this morning, then beloved, I'm calling on you to live as somebody who truly believes that. Live as Paul lived. As if there is nothing in this fleeting life that could ever silence your lips from bursting forth the glorious truth of Jesus Christ to a dark, dead world. A world in agony. A broken world. Live your life in gratitude to Almighty God who by His Spirit has opened your own eyes to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And beloved, be known for the way in which you love the church. Be known for the way in which you will defend this wonderful message from any that would dare to change it or to do damage to it. Stand up and fight against those who would say that there is another way of salvation under the sun. Lovingly point those who are in error to the truth and live Truly live for the glory of God. The pure message of the gospel is we are not worthy of the grace of God. We are sinful. We fail to even keep some of the law, let alone all of it. And yet it was like this. We were like this when Jesus Christ came and he satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. He died. Taking upon himself our sin. Paying the price once and for all of those whom he calls to be his bride, the church. Beloved, it should cause us to weep and yet be filled with joy. To have our eyes opened even to just a glimpse of this kind of love. The love that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, as we consider it in the week to come, I call on all of us to go out and to live like those who truly believe it. To live like those who are thankful that God has reached down and saved wretches like us.